All right, we're back with another Big Hunt Guys podcast. Got myself, Brady Miller. Got Chris Neville over here on my right. And special guest, the legend himself when it comes to everything East Scouting, Mark Livesey. Good to be here, guys. How do you like the Vegas heat? You know, I guess everyone's telling me that I'm, like, experiencing a cold wave right now. It's, it's cold like out, isn't it? not even 100 here. Yeah. It's not even 100. So. You came here with good weather. And it's, you know, it's kind of like Montana, too. It's like that dry heat. It's not that bad, really. Yeah, it really isn't. No, I'm enjoying it. I It's been, I haven't been in Vegas since, I, I when I turned 40, I came, so it's been a while. And, uh, but that's my last time, so... Yeah, it's so far. I've stayed away from the strip. You behaved yourself. <laughs> I've been behaving myself. Now, tonight might be a little risky. Uh-oh. But uh, you guys have kept me hopping for two days, so I, I felt like I needed to be have my A game going. Yeah, yeah. we had the big tech meeting this morning, and there's no way I could have done that thing hungover. Yeah, we, we put you through the ringer yesterday, too. Man, no, I was like, Just he's a slave run. driver. Okay, say it again. That was not... That was not right. Say it. Okay, say it again. Say it again. Could you say that one more time? And could you stand up on that ladder and kind of reach up for some, and say it that way? And yeah, I yeah. had him. I had him climbing up a ladder, like really? pulling off boxes, like go hunt sale going on right now. <laughs> it's fun though. So I, I did a lot of great promotion stuff, um, and uh, I got to walk through the go hunt warehouse, which oh man, it's like a kid in a candy store back there. Dude, it? it would be if I worked here. It would be danger zone. Sometimes I, mean, I wonder. Danger. They've gotten a little stricter with us to not go back there as much and start just looking at shit. <laughs> Especially Trail. They keep a close eye on him. He's always, oh, what's this look like? Uh, let me put this in my hands. Well, we were back there yesterday pulling out that Gunworks $2,000 rangefinder and checking oh, yeah. it out. Yeah, so I've got my shopping list, and I still haven't gone back there to uh, execute that yet, but it's probably got a little bigger. I, my wife was like, you know, she knows what happened last time I was in Vegas, and uh, the little sketch. And uh, but when I came down this time, she goes, "Honey, I'm not really worried about you and the strip. I'm more worried about you at the Go Hunt warehouse." Yeah, <laughs> buying stuff. That's why every now and then I'm like, I don't want the guys at the office to pull up my account and show me the total amount of money I burned back to Go Hunt because it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff though. Great products, man. I mean. I'm not just saying that, too. I mean, even when I go to the store, it's just it really does blow my mind how there's just no Walmart on there, right? There's nothing on there that is not top of the line. Yeah. Right? You know, everything we use, we sell in the going gear. It's great stuff. Yeah, good promotion. But yeah, today we're kind of gonna dive into everything e scouting with the man, the myth, the legend, Mark. Here, we okay. also got some questions that we pulled from social media that we're gonna kind of go over and have him answer have brady answer a little bit but should we start off with some questions we'll start off with them all right i got the first one for you mark mm-hmm. biggest mistake people make when they're e-scouting well since i have this course i see that a lot <laughs> and with the comments that people make and um you know i have a lot of guys now so my course is two years old now so i'm getting a lot of guys that are second year right this last season was their second year which I think that's the year, right? The first year, it's kind of hard to digest all yep. of it, right? Especially as a new hunter anyway, right? It's, everything's overwhelming, right? That's why I offer two-year membership because I knew right off the bat it just wasn't going to work as well as I wanted it to work in the second year. And I'm starting to see it. And guys are writing me now and saying, man, I just didn't understand. I know you said not to do that, and I know you said I didn't do it anyway, but now I get it. Now I understand. So what the common theme is I just keep hearing is that they fail – to really vet the pressures, the zone, I call it the zones of pressure. 
They don't understand where hunters are coming from, where they're accessing it from. They don't realize that they they parked at Trailhead A, but they're right across the state line. There was a Trailhead B that was way closer. We've all made those mistakes over the oh, years, yeah. but I think you know if you had to pick out one mistake, I think one is failing to understand where the pressure is kind of coming from, and to go along with that is where the motor vehicle use is allowed and where it's not. You were just giving me an example of your brother, right? Yep. And uh, it, over and over and over, they thought a road was closed. They kind of looked at one app, one solution, one resource. It said it was closed. They bet they put all their marbles right. on it. Yep. They and showed up and it wasn't. Yeah, for that for that example, though, that was my brother. I sent him to a place in Idaho back in the day, and the service back in the day said you could take any sort of motor vehicle through there. So they're banking on driving their vehicle up, accessing this area, and they got there. Those two giant boulders in the road. So he couldn't get a vehicle around us. So all these people on ATVs are driving through there. All these guys on horseback, they get passed every day. The guys are like, you guys are walking up here? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we, all we have is a vehicle. So literally they went into town, jumped on Craigslist, bought an ATV for like 2000 bucks, used it for the whole week, <laughs> put, drove that, put that ATV back in their pickup, drove it back to Minnesota and sold it for more money after the hunt. So it's like, they're being That's resourceful. Yeah. But it's like, it was so frustrating for him because- yep. They didn't understand that zone of pressure and how to actually use those motor vehicle use roads, like you're saying, to to their advantage. They didn't know. <laughs> so vetting that, you know, yep. and everybody's like, well, okay, well, how do you do that? Well, what I always say, guys, is you have to use the right tool for the right job, right? Go Hunt Maps is a great starting point. They're right 90% of the time, right? I mean, it's just pretty accurate. All You know, they're accurate. But they're not 100%. You always want to go to the National Forest um, right from the horse's mouth download the pdf of the area every national forest map is required to pr- produce a travel management map or a guideline you download it you double check your area now i don't say double every spot when you get drilled in and you're really invested in this spot and you feel like this is one of my five options right that's when i will take the time to do the test meaning download the map kind of match it up to go hunt make sure the roads are all what they claim to be Excuse me. I'll tell a quick story on this. So two years ago, elk hunting, I came across a controversial road. Like I saw in one app, the road was open. I saw in other apps, it was closed. All the other things were reporting closed. I'm like, that's weird. So I pulled up the, the, the PDF. It says it closes on September 4th. And I'm like, that's weird. I've never yeah. seen a road close <laughs> in Montana three days after the season opens. Yeah. I'm like, that might be money. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to put that on my list. And sure enough, I ended up in that spot and I pulled up and there was an outfitter there and I'm talking to the dude and I'm like, is it, this road is closed, right? And he goes, yep. I said, it closed on the fourth, right? Yep. It's gated too, right? Nobody getting, yep. Hmm. He goes, how'd you figure that out? <laughs> and I said, well, I downloaded them. He goes, we've been on this area six, about 16 years. He's the first dude that thinks it's that doesn't think it's open yeah and i'm like and people don't come here because it, right. they think it's open so that was a good, and, uh, was a good hidden gem right there. yeah so we started comparing notes about where he was going where i was going and he said yeah that's a that's a good spot <laughs> i said well i don't want to like you know he goes oh i'm going to this spot so it was probably the most bugling of any spot i've ever been in 30 years yep and but it took two weeks after that 
the first, uh, you know, the first weekend it was just hammered, right? Yeah. And I went back in like the 15th. So long story, but the point is I used that to my advantage. I looked at the date. I gave it two weeks of clothes. I roll in there. The only two people going in there is me and this outfitter. I had my llamas, went in nine miles. There's elk everywhere. And it was great. And, uh, but I had to check two or three different resources to get that figured out. It was kind of by accident. I kind of stumbled on it mm-hmm. on that case. Were, but Were some other things like saying that that road was still open? Yeah, several. I mean, because they... So a lot of the times they, it's probably like guys go into that thing and be like, oh, I thought this road was open and then turn it around. Yeah, because it might be like it's open, so everyone's going to access, so that hunting back there would probably be pretty poor. Yeah, so I'm not going to go. It's open not, road. Not I'm not going to drive back yeah. there, you know? And uh, Or they get there and they're... So here's what happens. When people get disappointed, right? That's the other thing I want to address real oh, quick. that's a good... I know what you're going to say. When yeah. people get disappointed, rejection triggers a response, Right. When things are not what you want it to be, it triggers a reaction with you, right? It's pretty common. And in elk hunting, it's even more magnified because there's so much on the line. They're so emotional. You're excited about it. You waited all year. Everything is magnified. So you think of your situation. One of two scenarios. You pull up. You think the road is closed, but it's open. You're dejected. You just immediately want to leave, right? You're yeah, just you're like, frustrated. You're, you're out. Well, the exact opposite is true. You roll in. You think the road is closed. Or you think the road is open, you find out it's closed. That's actually a better situation. Right for you. But now you're bummed out too, like your brother, because now I can't get where I want to go, so you leave. Yep. Even though you probably should go. You really should. And but so, the point is the negative effect of either way could trigger you to make a change. And that's where you know, I talk about this. When you prepare your hunt plans, um, it's really valuable to have these hunt plans worked out because when you get in these situations and your mind's not quite right and you're not you're overreacting and the emotions start to creep in, that hunt plan is kind of like your guiding light, right? It keeps you grounded, like you're ready to go. You know you've done your research. You're not going to be surprised very much if you do it right. And it's a game changer, man. It just keeps you. And, you know, the last thing I'm going to say is we only have 10 days to hunt. Whatever you got, right? I'm lucky that I get to do a lot, but... I used to, you know, I didn't get as many days as I've got now, but you're on a defined amount of time. You don't want to be messing around at trailheads that are not what you think they are or roads that are not what they think they are. You just don't, the days are precious. They're valuable. So maximize them and use all the tools. I say use a toolbox. Don't get focused on one tool, especially when it comes to this kind of stuff because motor vehicle use, the reason I put in the biggest mistake, it can really be a game changer when it comes to elk. So, there's a study, I know we're spending a lot of time on this question, but there was a study done, I want to mention because this is important, there was a study done in Colorado that I read when I was working on my course that mule deer, you'd probably be interested in this, they studied mule deer in high-pressure areas, and mule deer will not leave, they typically won't leave there, they just learn how to work around the people. Mm-hmm. They'll get in crevices, they'll get, they'll hide in pockets, they'll get over the ridge, they'll, they'll work around the people, but the elk didn't. The elk were out. Oh. So, Mule deer work around pressure, elk avoid pressure mm-hmm. is what this article said. And I'm like, that makes so much sense. So so pressure is a key for me yeah. when it comes to elk. And this goes into the same thing too. Like you heard me talk about this at the Western Hunting, Western Hunting Summit. Like use these biology reports. People sometimes overlook these things. These are literal gold mines. Go to Google Scholar, type in any sort of search terms you want, habitat of elk or migration studies, like whatever you want to do. There's PDFs out there of actual biology reports, and those are based on science. I based a lot of my hunting on science because what the animals do every single day is rooted in science. And so you can learn a lot of stuff. Sometimes you might have to pay for the reports. Sometimes you can find them other places. Like 
I find an author who wrote this badass paper, I have to pay a certain amount of money for it, I can actually search that guy's name, maybe I'll land on his university website, and he a lot of times will give away those PDFs for free on his university website because he wants to show off all his work. So that's like a, giving a lot of oh, like, gems, that, gem yeah, information awesome. there, but that, that's how you can go about doing that. Dang, I just learned something right there. That's so a, <laughs> hold on a minute. So you said Google Scholar. Google Scholar. It's like GoogleScholar.com? Yeah, you just type, like, you can go Google, then just type in Google Scholar, open up a different search engine. Oh, so you're, then you're, then you're searching for that. all these different I've just been searching reports. it regular Google. Right. Yeah, Google Scholar is way more great. I thought I knew it all. <laughs> Brady's got a couple gems up his sleeve. That's, Dang. Why, that's why my biology background from fishery stuff back in the day comes in handy. A that's little a bit. gem. I hope you people are paying attention to that. Maybe we should edit that out of this yeah, part. Probably should, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's great. So, you know, like you said, Every state usually is required to produce an elk management report, right? It's just the health of the herd, the counts, all the different things. But there's, you know, there's some good stuff, and they're worth reading, and they're mm-hmm. very detailed. Yep. So, but going further with some of these other researches, that's that's a good tip. That's good, man. That was a good one. I think that too about the access. It's important for like your first spot, but even more important for when your first spot doesn't pan out, oh. and you have to go to your second spot because then. Time is, on, right? time is not on your side. So the more efficient you can be and know what the access is to get to your next spot, like the more time you're going to save, the more time you're going to be hunting. Yep. Yeah, I think just being full. We could get into a whole yeah. new conversation about these freaking options. Your hunt backup plans, right? Yep. Guys, you got to have them, and they got to be vetted. That's all I'm going to say. When I say vetted, I mean you got to know how long it's going to take you to drive over there. You got to know where you're going to park. You got to know how long it is into your camp, how long it's going to take you to get in. Mm -hmm. Because when you need to make a move, you're going to be more likely to make the move if you know what you're going to be up against. But when you're on the side of the road trying to figure out how you're going to drive over to point B, and you don't even know how long it is into where you want to camp, you're going to be less likely to move, right? You're going to end up hunting in an area that's not productive because you don't feel like you've got the time to make the move, right? You're like, okay, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm not seeing anything. I, I think I'm going to bail on this spot. I'm going to move to plan B. Well, you pull out your hunt plan. You look at plan B. Okay, it's a two-hour drive. It's a two-hour path. I can be in there before dark. I can be hunting tomorrow morning. Right. You're 90% more likely to make the move if you've got that data at your fingertip, right? Yeah. But if you don't have that data... You're a lot like, uh, I'm just going to hunt another day here. I'm just going to tough it out. Elk are going to, some elk is going to come over the hill and he's going to be here tomorrow. Yeah. Maybe, but probably not. Yeah. Right. But, but that's why too, like I will suggest people to check out your course all the time. Treeline Academy. Well, I appreciate that. Because so remember what was it, a couple of years ago when I first started. I signed up for it and I paid for it. You instantly emailed me. I saw, I was watching the, that was back in the days. I was watching watching every person, you know, and I'm like, Brady Miller, what the hell? I was like, he tried to slip in, see guys, that's what happened. So one of the other questions was, I'm just going to jump ahead. It said Brady's waypoints. So Brady got in my course, kind of thought he was going to be on the radar. Well, one of the reasons I'm here is I've been trying to get a hold of his laptop. I've been trying to get a hold of his phone. I keep it locked down really and, tight. Uh, so it's not working out, but, but, yeah. but like, But that's why I even signed up for it. So I like I think we're cut from the same cloth. Like we both love e-scouting and we both love diving and all these methods. We have, we've done it for years and years and years. But I figured even as a mule deer hunter, and your course is you know, set up, you could say mainly for elk hunters, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 sure. So like I am even learning stuff in there that I never even knew before. And I might be able to apply that information to mule deer hunting. So, like, it is worth it to me to have a membership because I am learning so much. And even though I've done this forever, there's always little bits of stuff that you can learn that you never thought of. Like, What does it take to be a game changer, right? Sometimes it takes the smallest. Like, you just, I mean, 
that Google Scholar thing, I mean, who knows what I'm going to uncover, you know, mm -hmm. now to add to my toolbox. Guys, it, elk hunting is a toolbox. And if you think you're going to fix your car with only using a screwdriver, you're, you're wrong. Yeah. You need a wide variety of tools. When, when it comes to elk hunting, you've got to increase your tools. Not just having the most advanced hunt platforms, that's great. Having the best gear, that's great. But knowledge, you know, experience. You know, I, I'm going to say this one more thing. I, I looked at the stats. I've been doing some studies on historical elk harvest stats, just general, not in particular states, just in general. It's pretty clear that everyone pretty much agrees that the average success rate is somewhere between 7 to 10%, yeah. right, for archery over-the-counter elk in most states, right? Excuse me. But think about that, okay? When I first started elk hunting 30 years ago, the stats were the same. Yeah. We've got all kinds of tools. We can navigate. Right. We can go to waypoints. We can navigate in the dark. We don't use compasses anymore. I, I hate to date myself. Yeah, we Guys. Have, we, have, we have insider research tools. We, we have, have insider data, harvest data, all podcasts. I mean, all this free information. Has it changed the harvest statistic? No. Not once. Yeah. You know why? Because that doesn't change the game. You know what changes the game? There's two things that changes the game that I've been able to figure out. It's experience. Or education. Yep. If you're willing to just tough it out for years and years and years, you'll eventually become a pretty dang good elk hunter, right? Or you become a sponge and you start to learn and absorb, like you just said. Even though 80% of my course, you probably knew every single thing in there. The couple, oh, that's a nice tool in my mm -hmm. tool. Right. And the more we can arm ourselves with education, the better elk hunters we become. I'm always looking for, guys. I'm. I don't know. I don't even know the tip of the iceberg, what I hope to know 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. And so I just picked up one just now, you yeah. know, and I picked up one this morning, how to bulk edit waypoints and go oh, on yeah. maps. I'm like, right. I felt yeah. like an idiot on that one. But. <laughs> so you're always learning. And so, yep. you know. All right. So we'll go to the next question. I think I'm going to, I'm going to throw a couple things in this one. So when e-scouting, what helps you identify the best feeding areas for bulls? I, I think we could also maybe throw in there water and bedding because those are you know the three things you're looking for on a landscape to help you find elk yeah you me start out yeah so what i do guys is um i don't really look for water much now if i was lucky enough like neville to have a new mexico tag um i would you have a new mexico tag, yeah. right i would be concerned with water right i'm not saying you shouldn't be if you're nevada there's states you're going to be concerned with but if you're hunting like Colorado, Wyoming, for the most part, Montana, Idaho, elk can find water. There's, it doesn't mean I don't pay attention to it. It's just not a high priority on my list. You Would you agree? I would 100% agree. So I don't really e-scout too much for that. I keep it in my mind. I'm always paying attention to it. But I'm also, I'm honestly more attention paid to where I can get water and, and yep. work my hunt. But when it comes to feeding, um, I'm really dialed to that. I pay close attention to that. Bedding. I'm not as dialed. I'll be on, I used to be. I'm mainly looking for north slopes, northeast, northwest, north, uh, for the most part, as far as bedding. And I am looking for dark timber for the most part. But I'm finding that elk, they're more connected to their food source. than They will bed a lot of places, in my mind. So I spend a lot of time. I have an entire module in this course dedicated to meadows and feeding zones because I spend a lot of time evaluating them. And... Uh, you know, the best way to evaluate them, hands down, is Google Earth. you got to spend some time at the high resolution. 
For me, I'm zooming in on all these meadows and I'm changing the historical timeline. I'm trying to find dates that are conducive to my hunt period and I'm trying to look for the brightest green in the whole area. Now, it doesn't make sense to look for the brightest green in June mm-hmm. because you're hunting in September. And some areas are better than others, you know, but a lot of areas have a lot of September dates for maps. Find a couple Septembers, man, okay, start scanning, look for the brightest green. That doesn't always mean highest moisture, but it's a good indicator. So you're like fairly zoomed out then, like, and you have it on, let's say your hunt's in September, you have the date frame on September, like looking at a fairly large area. I'm looking at at first large and seeing if I can notice any differences. Any green. If I can't notice any differences, then I start going zoom in and start checking every meadow at the highest zoom. It's a painstaking process. But guys, think about what you're doing. You're eliminating... Basically, let me back up. Randy Newberg said this one time, and I really appreciate this about, he said it about um, the train analysis tool, I think. What you're doing with meadow analysis is you're not looking for the meadows that have the elk. You're looking to eliminate the ones that you don't think have the elk. Exactly. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions. A lot of times you're looking for places that don't have animals. Right. You're kind of looking for the ones that don't look attractive. In my opinion, that's what I'm looking for. So the other thing I'm looking for is elk during September. Guys, remember, they're making the switch on their diet between grasses to woody plants, more brushy plants. So elk um, can't typically digest multiple kinds of food at once. They have to kind of transition their stomachs, right? And they're in a transition period during most of the hunting season. So what's great about that is it you know they're looking for varieties of food sources to make this transition. I call it the buffet. You know, um, elk like to go to the golden crowd, I always say, during this time of year. So I'm looking for meadows that have a mottled or rough texture to them, right? When you zoom in, you're looking down on a meadow. I'm looking for the green, interrupted green. I'm looking for shades of green. I'm looking for rough texture, what that means is there's a wide variety of plants in that meadow. It's hard to tell exactly what sometimes, but you can t- if you see in the modeled, that means there's bushy, woody plants there, right? Mm-hmm. That means it's mixed with grass. It's a great, and if it happens to be the greenest in the area, all the odds are starting to stack up. You guys get my point here? So we've eliminated some of these other meadows. We're kind of zeroing on this greener one, and then as we get really zoomed in, it looks like it's got a, mo- oh, yeah. Then the last thing that's really money for me is to look for the halo effect. When you zoom in on a meadow, if you can see the edge of the meadow is a different green, just a slightly different shade, usually lighter than the in, than the other part of the meadow, then you know it's a decent moisture content meadow. And that's a good tip. I don't really share that one that much, but and that's like that very similar to what we both always talk about—that edge habitat. Edge. So the the halo you're talking like right next to the like timber. within a hundred yards of the edge. Yeah, yeah. to the less timber. than a hundred yards, yeah. fifty yards. Yeah, Cause I don't know if people realized it. The other day, I gave a big tip on my Instagram when I was going up on tack. I was going up on the ski lift, and it was a big shoot. You know, they have it cut right there. You can tell the grass in the middle is a little more burnt that stuff right on the edge i put it on there like look at all this edge habitat people probably didn't realize what i was saying there but you could tell on that edge it was a lot greener and those i am from mule deer for example they're not going to want to come out in the open they're going right. to get a lot of that good feed right in that edge habitat because they have, they have the cover but it's also really good feed for them in that edge that's why a lot of times you don't see the deer out in the open these bigger bucks they're going to be covering that edge because you have that you know what was it the 50 yards 50 in between yards, 50 feet actually. yeah oh yeah 50 mm-hmm. feet so there's a there's another yep, article that go. was written. Guys, this was not written for elk hunters. And I use it in a lot of my presentations. And it's a it's a curve, right? It's just a it's a use curve. 
So what this study showed, and that what really blew my mind is that it works both ways. And what I'll explain what that means is, so the closer to the edge that you are, the higher the preferred elk use, okay? The further away from the edge you get, the line starts to drop. They prefer it less, right. okay? Doesn't mean they're not going to be out there. It's just a preferred. So, but it's perfectly straight, means very high use till about 50 feet, and then it starts to drop. Okay, but what's really interesting is it's the same the other way. Mm -hmm. It's the same preferred use 50 feet inside the timber. You're like, okay, but what does that mean? This is what it means. In September, guys, when you're glassing, right, you may be glassing these meadows and glassing, glassing, glassing. You're seeing elk sign, but you're just not seeing any elk. It's because they're inside the 50 meat. You're not, they're not coming out. Mm -hmm. Everything they want is just inside. And maybe at that particular spot, at that particular time, they're zeroing in on a particular forb or a particular whatever that's just in this zone. So you may have to mix your tactics up a little bit um, because they might, and at mule deer, I'm assuming mule deer would be the same. Yeah, they're exactly the same. They just, they're not out right outside the edge, but. Because what happens when they go outside the edge? They get shot by a rifle guy. So put yourself in the position when you set up your glassing spots that you always can see the most edge that you can. So a lot of guys will set up on a hillside, right, and they're overlooking a meadow, right? They never see the elk because the elk are coming out of the meadow. They're staying close to the timber. It's out of the view of line. It's called the view shed. They're out of the view shed. Of the, you know that's what I'm saying, right? Mm -hmm. The timber's blocking yep, it. Timber they think nothing's coming out. But if they would reposition that glassing mm -hmm. spot where they could see more edge, they got a more likelihood. Mm -hmm. Now, guys, when it comes to elk hunting, is there any guarantees? No. All we're talking about here is upping your odds, right? We're just talking about increase things that you can do to increase mm -hmm. your odds. Yep. Okay. So once you so you've established, let's say you have like four or five places that look like good feeding areas that kind of all look the same. What are you then doing next to separate those four or five different places, like? choosing one over the other okay so what i do is i use a markup system um so like in go hunt maps let's for example i'm marking meadows with a certain icon and i'm marking meadows with a certain priority level by color so a certain color it doesn't matter just pick a system right. and stick with it right so i'm just going to talk say something right the default icon, orange, right, means nothing to me. When I see an orange icon, that means I just randomly dropped something. It was not important enough for me to make a change to it. Orange, I'm in Go Hunt, right? Mm -hmm. So when I see orange, not that it's not important, I'm just saying, I know that's a random point, right? Because I do the exact same thing. But if orange. I take the time to change it, then I know it's a, at least at some level of priority. But I use the, I think I use the yellow as my number. When I see yellow, I know that that is a, I'm really interested in that meadow. Okay, for some reason, there's something about that meadow. And another thing I'll do, guys, and I don't see many people doing this, take the time to put some notes in. Guys, when you're e-scouting, it's all fresh. You're all thinking, but when you got in the field, you, you forgot everything you thought about that meadow. You're like, I love the model texture of this meadow. The wind looks like it's going to be really good at this time of day. I'll make some notes that my, my um, thoughts at the mm -hmm. time. You don't realize how valuable that is when you're in the field. You're like, oh, man, that makes sense. I forgot. I was thinking yeah. that. All those notes you enter transfer over to mobile device. That's right. So they're right there with you in the, in the tent. You're like, whatever. So I try to drop color, prioritize in a certain area. Um, and I call them prime features in, in my mm -hmm. course. But prime features get a certain mark or certain color. 
Prime features can be anything, though, for me. Prime features can be Prime Saddle. It can be a Prime Edge. It could be a Prime Meadow. It could be a Prime Beetle Kill Spot. It could, anything could be Prime for me. Right. But then the different type it is is where I use the different icon. Does that make sense? Yeah. Different icons for the different types of features, different colors for the priorities. Gotcha. So how do you – so, like, let's say you have five Prime features – I kind of know what you're trying to get you me know what I mean? to here. Yeah, which one you, I go to yeah, first, Yeah, right? you can't go to all five. Which one are you trying to go okay. to first? So that's where the hunt plan comes in, guys. So what I do, I know I sound like a broken record, guys. I plan on – so if I'm doing a seven-day hunt, I plan out my actions for five days. I always know I'll ad lib in there. That doesn't mean I'm going to follow it exactly, right? But I know I'm going to go to Camp A, and then I'm going to hit this medal first, because it, and I'm going to do it by um, – the best routes and the most logical flow to work through all my. So remember, I've labeled all my prime spots, right? I want to hit all those prime spots. So I'll figure out a route and I'll put the route in my app before I go. I'm going to use this route to get to here. And if I need to set up my camp different places along the way, I'll kind of do all that. So that when I get there, I know the route I'm going to use. I know the priority. I'm going to hit these certain key markers if I'm going to check this bench, I'm going to hit this bench during the middle of the day. I'm going to try to call into there. I'm not going to hit it in the morning because, I mean, I'll try to get my day planned out. I got morning, midday, and evening options on my hunt plan. And I have what I'm trying to accomplish morning, midday, evening, every day for five days for a seven-day plan. The reason I only do five days, do seven if you want. But I've never really had the need for I'm usually out there starting to I find elk here. Guys, if you're finding elk, you abandon the plan, right? Okay, right. let's just be honest. Yeah. Yeah. The plan is there when you're not finding elk. You're working through a systematical approach. But once things turn in your favor, then game's on. So that's kind of the way I work through it. So you can see the trend here is like the importance of e-scouting and the importance of the plan. Oh. People, I think, overlook the importance of the plan, whether where it's you're going to camp, like you're saying, tracking all your routes going in, figuring out the distance it takes you to hike there. Just having that plan is going to set yourself up for success. It literally does. Obviously, things change when you're hunting. Animals might be somewhere else, but at least you have that plan to fall back on. And you know the unit like the back of your hand. The other thing I'm going to add about the plan, guys, you have n most people have no idea how valuable that hunt plan is. I always call it historical knowledge. You know, when you're studying for a test, right, you're a science guy. One of the best things you can do is write, rewrite your notes, yep. right? It, you, you're... Is that muscle, muscle the... You're, you're impregnating that into your memory by recopying your notes, right? That's how I used to do... I mean, I wasn't the smartest guy in the world. I just would recopy, recopy. And, man, I just would eventually be, like, mm -hmm. dialed. But the, what I'm getting to is the act of writing the plan out. Just that act yep. probably means you're never going to pull that. You may never pull the plan out because you've almost impregnated your mind with this plan. Mm -hmm. And it is so valuable. And then when the wheels are coming off, you haven't seen elk, you, you're laying in your tent, you pull out, and I mean the written hunt plan. I take it on paper, and I'm laying in the tent with my light. I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. I forgot about I had the idea to do this, this, and this. I can't tell you how many times I have found elk pulling that plan out. like, dang, I forgot about checking that spot, or I forgot about that I had a strategy to do this, this, yeah. and this, or get to this classing spot. I forgot. Um, it, it, it's so much of a game changer, it's hard to explain. Yeah. And uh, guys that just think they're going to throw some waypoints on their app, they're going to run out there, and they're just going to figure it out, 
Can you do that? Absolutely. Can you kill elk like that? Absolutely. But what did we just say? We're talking about things that are going to turn the tables from 10% up a little higher. Mm -hmm. Think about it. If you take it from double, from 10 to 20, that means you're going to kill an elk every five years instead of every 10 years. That brings up another good point, too, like the whole test analogy. It's like, yeah, you could cram the night before, the week before, doing all this e-scouting, but you are going to be way more beneficial right when you get that tag in the pocket. That's your hunting season starts right then. Yeah, that's right. And so, like, doing things every single week e-scouting. Everyone talks about how many arrows they shoot, how many bullets they shoot, all the stuff in the gym they talk about. But it's like really deep when it comes down to it, are you putting the effort into e-scouting that you should be? Because that is one of the points that you can always lean back on the hardest because you've done your research you've done your homework and you've spread that out you're not just doing it the week or two weeks before the hunt you're starting six months beforehand doing all your east gun and that way it's become more of a memory you're writing down these notes you're analyzing all these areas you're finding all these backup spots like that is what is really key about all this stuff like don't you can't cram for this test this is the most important test of your life you're going out there hunting you're burning valuable vacation time that you've taken away from your family taken away from your job do everything you can to be successful and this is Absolutely one of the most important parts. And, uh, you know, I got away from a few years, I'm going to be honest, from doing it. And I started seeing decrease in my success. Yeah. Then I went kind of back to it, back to my roots. I'm like, dude, you're not so big. Right. Your pants aren't so big that you need to – you can short circuit this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I I do a little bit different. but I e-scout all the time, right? Mm-hmm. I just do it. I love doing it. I love looking at it. There's nothing I like better than developing a new area. I rarely go back to the same areas, like that road close spot. You know, my buddy's like, man, are we going back there? Because it was so incredible. I'm like, no way. We're not going back there. What do you mean? Why wouldn't we go back there? I'm like, because there's so many other spots on my bucket list. I'm an adventurer. Now, is that going to increase my odds? No. My odds would be better if I went back to some of these places, right? But that's just me. I just Mm -hmm. like to find new places. So what I do, guys, I e-scout hunt areas, areas that I'm interested in, and I flesh them out year-round in states that I may be two years away from drawing a tag. Because when the time comes, I've got a duck for – it's pretty sick, but I've got a Wyoming document. I don't even know how many pages it is. I will never – I'm be honest with you. I will never in my lifetime hunt the hunt areas that I have already worked up. Now, do I have them worked up 100%? No. But I've got a list of spots that I'm interested in that's way bigger than my lifeline. And – Sometimes it's intimidating because I'm looking at some kid, where do I go this year? I've got this million yep. options already. But I'm not scrambling like, all right, where am I going to go? And the thing that's nice too, like you've, you're so immersed in it that you're starting to pick up different cues, different things you're seeing in other places that you're able to then use to these new areas or whatever because you're so immersed into what you're looking for on a map. It becomes just second nature to the areas that we probably take for granted. Like why do we find animals there? Like it might be hard to explain it, but we've had so much experience in looking at it that we just know we're going to go that spot. Boom, find an animal. Exactly. And you know, guys, I'm talking about here, like general. And now you draw a special tag. You're not going to have that worked out, right? Yeah. You got, I'm talking about areas that I tend to, not areas, but states and general units and things that I tend to go to every year or in my rotation of my states. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not talking about a freaking unit, uh, 10 Arizona elk tag, which I probably never draw in my lifetime. You know, there's no sense of e-scouting that until you actually get the tag. Yeah. But also, I want to add one more thing to that, too. I have found it incredibly valuable to not try to do all your e-scouting at once. Exactly. Sometimes you need to, like, walk away and come back and look at it fresh and, like, maybe use Google or Tilt, look around. Like, 
Am I, am I really seeing everything here, you know? And come back and forth. Not try to all get it done in one session. Cause There's sometimes when I'm doing it in one I get like uh, – I get stuck on one spot that I yeah. really, really like. Oh, you get invested. I talk about that all. And I keep looking at it, and I'm like – this is I've it. looked at this every time I get money. back and I look at the same spot. It's like I've looked at this spot a thousand times. It's like I it looks so good I can't there's, quit looking at it. But even, what's going to happen when you go there and it's not so good? Right. right? Yeah. There's even studies on that again about how you're supposed to like back away from your work for a while, take a little mental break, do something else, and then come back onto it. Well, I'm glad you said that, Neville, because when we talk about having backup plans, right? It is critical, guys, that you try. I know it's hard to not get excited and get invested in this one spot. <laughs> Do it, you know, get, it's your number one, right? Do a good job on it, but don't discount the value of second, third, and fourth. Mm-hmm. It's not a waste of time, right? Because next year, you've got more, you got these options ready to go. Yeah. You're never going to do a lot of e-scouting work, and it's going to be like go to a waste. waste. You're always got it in your book, or in your arsenal. Um, what I do, I mean, a tip is, I remember I mentioned this while, I have a document for every state that I hunt. And I have the hunt areas listed by unit, and I gave them a name, like a mountain, whatever. And then I have bullet points below it, just adding a few things, like um, whatever, whatever notes I got. And But just that it – and then what I do, so the second step. So I have this list, right? And for every one of these, I use the area tool. Uh, and this is only something that I've developed in the past five years that I've been doing. I will take just that area tool, and I'll just do a general area – around where I think I'm going to be, right? Not, not, there's no limitations. It's just a general area. And I'm going to get into why I do it in a minute. So, and then I name it exactly to what I got on this sheet when I name the waypoint, name the area. So it's a good matchup between the two. Yeah. So now what I do sometimes is I'll zoom out on my app and I'm seeing all these areas. Those are my hunt plans. I don't have to worry about trying to pick out a certain waypoint. That's the only thing I use areas for is um, for the main most part and i color code them so my elk areas are per- i'm giving out all my secrets here <laughs> my elk areas are purple my mule deer areas are blue and my bear areas are yellow i think is what i do so when i look at the i'm like it's really easy for me to say oh there's and then once yeah. you'll start seeing dang there's five elk areas over here over mm-hmm. the course of five years i've developed five elk. well i need to be in that area i don't know which one but there's five right here mm-hmm I call it in the course, I call it the cluster effect. Guys, once you start labeling your waypoints, like we said with colors, start using certain icons, develop a legend or develop a system, yep. stuff starts to jump out. Like, it's amazing when you start looking at the screen, like, look at all these yellow dots over here. Now, those yellow dots might have been dropped over the course of two years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, you don't know why you keep kind of going, but something keeps drawing you back. And it's hard if it's a sea of orange. Or a sea of whatever color, you, it's hard to pick up, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why for when I when I do that, when I enter different waypoint colors or different icon styles for different hunts, I will put all those waypoints into a hunt folder, and then I go in the notes section on the hunt folder. So that's like a master area for everything, and I will write down my legend on that hunt folder. So I always have that permanently referenced. Very similar to what you're doing, it, it, guys. If you do this for very long, you get kind of like. Um, paralysis by analysis yeah you're just like okay i look i totally i can't tell you when i look at this sheet when i look at my hunt areas like i'm looking at my montana i don't have very many tags this year so montana is critical right so i'm like you got to pick the right spot this year which one are you doing i'm like oh i forgot i even did that one you know i I was just looking at one yesterday i just a couple days ago i was like oh yeah i have a lot of great notes i totally forgot about that one 
if you don't do it, it's so hard to remember that. It's so yeah. hard to remember that. Anyway, good stuff. Really good stuff. So f- feeds like your number one. Would you say that's no like, of those three of those out of out of bedding, water, and feed feeds your number feeds one number feature, one number one feature. beds number two waters number three gotcha. in that order of that feature set. Okay, I say this all the time in my course. I'm gonna say it again, guys. Good meadows is one odds multiplier. Finding that good meadow is one of the. I think I have twelve in my course odds multipliers. Right, I call them odds multipliers. Elk finding features are odds multipliers. Those are synonymous. Meadows and feeding zones is one. Benches is two. Saddles is three. Um, fire zones is four. Beetle kills, five. Um, north slopes, slope orientation is six. Slope degree, slope orientation, those, those um, parameters is one. So what I'm looking for when I'm breaking down an area is an area that has multiples of those odds multipliers. Okay, not just because there's a great looking meadow, that does not excite me. But has to have all. It has to have those. not all, but it has to have some of those yeah. features, right? Yeah. Like some areas don't have beetle kill, right? Some areas don't have fires, right? But I'm looking for north slopes. I'm looking for benches right. that are three quarters away. I'm looking for saddles between drainages. Elk can really move through those. They, yeah. You may not. I may not hunt those saddles, but I have found that elk like to inhabit areas that have those. Right. transportation lane. So you you the more features that you find the more that, excited I get. That elk like your chances of finding elk there it goes go up, up guys it goes right. up. Now like I said the fires I love hunting fires I love hunting beetle kills but that's not a it's an odds multiplier but what I'm really looking for Brady we just talked about was is the edges. The edge habitat. Elk our edge habitats are magnets for elk. And the more I've done this and the more I've I, I don't think I really knew this in the beginning. It took me several years to kind of come to the grips of this. Every time I kept running into elk, it was on the edge of something, right? Mm-hmm. The edge of a log out, the edge of a beetle kill, the edge of a fire, the edge of a sparse timber where it becomes dark timber, the edge of meadows, the edges. Mm-hmm. It's all about the edges. And, uh, and so I like these edge habitats. And remember, when, think about what we're saying. I listed off those features. What do a lot of those features have in common? They have edges, yep. beetle kills, fires, meadows. They all have edges. So they're odds multiplier. So I'm looking to stack. I'm actually writing an article. I'm getting ready to send it in to Brady for his uh, critique. But I'm working on an article right now about stacking odds in your favor and explains kind of this as well. Yeah. So. This is why, too, you throw in the power of the train analysis tool. Like I said, if you can take a north-facing slope there's also studies out there that what slope degree do elk prefer so if you start reading some of these studies you realize okay i can turn on the north facing glare at this exact slope in this exact elevation for your unit boom it's going to start narrowing down and showing you those areas that have that criteria or you could use the opposite way like we said that randy uses flip all those features around so it shows you the areas where there's probably not going to be animals and you can start i can't believe that i i gotta give randy newberg some credit here I never even looked at it that way until you meant. I'm like, that's the better way to actually look at it, mm-hmm. is eliminate the areas, yep. not because then you're going to focus in on that core. Yeah, zone. I like that tactic. I'm gonna. It's the same result. The same it's just result. A different, different way to look at so it. So what I'd like to do is do it my way and then flip it, see if I see anything different. Yep. Mm-hmm. Just see what jumps out at me, guys. Another thing I'm going to add. I spend an enormous amount of time. You probably do. Just Googler flying over, guys. Just not dropping points. I'm just flying over. I'm tilting. I'm looking. I'm at high resolutions. I'm looking. I'm just looking. I'm just absorbing. Yep. 
When I roll into an area, usually, especially my prime hunt area, I feel like I've been there before. Do you? I'm like, I'm not surprised by anything, usually. Right. And that, that's why I really love having 3D on my phone. Because I was sitting there in the evening, might be watching TV, maybe watching some hunting YouTube channel. <laughs> All of a sudden, I pull up my phone, I have my Watching there. yourself. Yeah, yeah, watching bear. myself on the yeah, phone. Okay, I'm critiquing you. myself, yeah. He probably watched his video his, um, yeah. like 50 times he's been watching. Yeah. That's the only one he watches, yeah, the ones he's right. featured in. I'm just trying to get more stats on the YouTube for now. That's right. Yeah. That a boy, Brady. Yeah. I like it's, like, it. it's so easy now. Like I yeah. can literally pull up everything yeah. in 3D while I'm sitting on my couch without going off and grab my computer, and I can start diving in. Like you said, I might not be dropping waypoints. No. But I'm just cruising around. You're absorbing knowledge, guys. Right? You're yeah. just absorbing. And yeah. every single second I spend doing that benefits me in the long run. Yeah. Like, yeah. why would I want to just sit there and watch a freaking YouTube video? I can't video say that, that enough. Working? I cannot say that enough. Yeah, so this kind of goes into the next question a little bit. Will you still physically scout the area that you have e-scouted? Me, no. I just don't do it. And is it beneficial? There is some tremendous benefits. But here's the deal. And, again, I I don't want to sound pompous here, but I'm blessed. I am so blessed. I have an incredible wife um, that allows me to do it. Um, Honestly, my go-hunt partnership ain't hurting me. I've set my life up to where I'm able to chase elk about 60, 70 days a year and in at least three states, right? There's no way. Think about it. I'm developing four to five hunt areas for each one of these states. And sometimes I'm hunting two 10-day hunts in those states, Mm -hmm. right? And like this year in Montana, I only have one Montana tag, but I got three 10-day hunts planned, right? And if I kill my elk on the first one, great. I'm still going on the other two because I got guys that are counting on me. It's funny. When you get llamas, you get all, get all kinds of friends. But um, So there's no way that I can go there, right? There's no way. And, guys, you can only see so much. I'm just going to be honest with you. One of my best elk areas in Wyoming, <laughs> I went to it in the summer like an idiot. Rolled in there, got eaten alive by mosquitoes, didn't see a freaking elk nowhere, didn't see a track but I saw a lot of rubs and I'm like old rubs. Right. And I'm like, they obviously are here during the rut, but there ain't nothing. That thing was on my, it moved down my list because of my scouting trip. Well, things got messed up and my boys from Missouri were coming and they got delayed and we ended up, I ended up, Hey, let's just meet at this, at this spot. Cause we, I moved my number three or four up to number one yep. just because of situation. One of the best. We killed three elk in three days. But I almost discounted it because of boots on the ground scouting. Nope. I think I experienced the same thing because I posted a little reel on my Instagram today about this buck I had watched in the summer. He was at one spot. And then literally later on, he had moved two and a half miles as the crow flies. Summer velvet buck. You think like, oh, those bucks are going to be in that area the whole time. And if I just would have went in there based on my e-scouting, and then just went to that spot. He, went, he wasn't there anymore. So it's like that e-scouting almost just like forces you to go to that spot when you're just like, I need to broaden my horizons. I need to check everything out still and not just put all my eggs in the e-scouting. That's why a lot of times when I'm e-scouting, or not e-scouting, boots on the ground scouting, it's I can't focus a lot of what I see in the summer because most of my tags from mule there are October or November. Yeah. So what I'm seeing in July and August, yeah. it's totally different than when I yeah. get there later on. So I can't discount everything I see. And that's why a lot of times I don't even worry if I see bucks. Like I'm just trying to check out the habitat, I'm yeah. checking out the roads, I'm checking out what I, what I see, checking all the access points right now. And then like, I, I think that's the big thing with boots on the ground e-scouting is expectations mm-hmm. and like what you're going to find. Yep. If being being realistic about the situation, if you have an October hunt and you're going into this spot and you're, you know, 
the chances of those animals being in the same spot by that late season hunt. Even pressure. I mean, all kinds right. of things. Pressure, pushing yeah. around. I, I'm just in the camp that if you do what we just talked about, you stack all these odds, your odds are at here. If you rely on boots on the ground, it's kind of here. Does it mean it's not going to be successful? No. I just feel like my style of hunting and the many places I like to go and the many options I like to have, I like to have my cards like this. I like to be able to pick any card in any state at any time and be ready to roll. No way boots on the ground is going to do it for me. Now, with that said, there's a unless you become an expert at terrain analysis, meaning topo interpretation, there is a lot of value in going in a spot and seeing how difficult, how you're going to navigate, kind of how it's going to work. But as you get more experience, you can start looking at topos and you just know. I rarely pull up to a spot now. Rarely will I pull up and be like, oh, man, this is way worse than I thought, right? But when I started, when I used to start coming from Missouri, when I first started hunting, I was like, holy crap. You know, three, we were just talking about this at lunch. Guys are like, oh, 3,000 feet? Okay, that's not – 3,000 feet is a deal, right? Oh, yeah. A, a deal. Big, yeah. But coming from – oh, I'll just hike up there. It's no yeah. problem, right? Well – Maybe, but yeah. maybe not. So there is some value for that. Right. I think more of the value so, might I be think, spent if you like could do five, four days before your hunt and you just lock in a buck or lock that's, in an animal. If you were going to do and, boots on the ground, go in early for your hunt. Don't. And that's the way to do exactly. it. Exactly. I, I totally in an agree with that. Even for elk, and that's what I try to do. You know, what? I'm glad you said that because I don't mention that a lot. So, kind of the way I go is if I can before season it, on my early, if I go opening day. Then I'll go in, like like Montana opens the second or third, whatever. I'll probably go in three or four days ahead of time. And I'll be listening for elk. I'll be moving my camps around. I'll be glassing for elk. I'll be just kind of checking some of my spots. Not real invasive. Yep. I don't want to leave a lot of scent. I'm going to try to do it from as far as I can because I certainly don't want to be pressuring anything. But I might check a few walls from years past if it's a spot I've been to before, which usually is not the case. But... Um, yeah, so I, I do some limited, but I'd rather see it done right before the hunt. Now, I do think, you know, you may, I don't, I'm not a great mule deer hunter, but I think for guys that are hunting early season mule deer, there's a lot of value going in the summer and putting your eyes on bucks. Man, 100%. No doubt. Yep. So that's a whole nother beast, right? That's a whole nother beast. I think you bring up a good point, though, that just being, I think a lot of people aren't as, aren't as good at it as probably what they think is, like you're saying, reading a map. Like understanding a topo map and exactly what that looks like, just like because I'm guessing a lot of people think they know what they're looking at, and then they, that's when they get there and they're like, "Whoa, yeah, this is." Oh, I've been on so many podcasts where the guests are talking about it, you know. So I've been invited on a lot of Midwestern podcasts where these guys are kind of newer Western hunters, and that's the story after story after story of driving out and just being shocked by um, the, it, ter- the terrain. How, how how did how do you uh? I guess, how did you become better at reading a map? Like, what would you do to look at a topo map and know exactly what that terrain is going to look like? Guys, I mean, so I'm planning. I did, I underestimated this. When I created my course, we talked about this before. I underestimated the lack of knowledge in that area, really. I did, and I apologize for that. But I am going to go back and be adding more stuff on map reading and navigation and topo interpretation. But there's a lot of resources. I mean, like you said, you go to Google, you go to YouTube. There's some great topography, navigation stuff. But, guys, I'm just telling you, 2,000 feet from Trailhead A to camping spot is a serious ordeal. 
yep. two, three, four, five, six thousand feet, you've got to have your freaking lunch packed for some of this right. stuff, right? It's, it's literally like we talked about this morning in our, our earlier meeting. Like, no one's ever gone to a spot and said, oh, yeah, that mountain was so easy to climb. I way easier than I thought it was going to be. I have never gotten a comment from a single hunter in 30 years. Yeah, when I rolled up the trail, it was so much easier than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. <laughs> never that way. It's so, always 10 times worse. The other thing, too, is um, distance. I want to mention this, guys. I just got an email from a dude that was telling me about outfitter camps and 10 miles back. And they're going to, they're backpacking in and they're concerned about these outfitters that are 10 or 12 miles in there. I'm like, are you going to be 10 or 12 miles in there? These are elk hunters. They think they're going to be, right? They think they're going to be, right? And maybe they, I'm not, I I don't know who they are. Maybe they're freaking Brady Miller, maybe whatever. Maybe they are. But the reality is with elk hunting, this is my opinion, guys. Five miles is a freaking reach unless you got a pretty decent group of guys and the weather is good and meaning not hot and the steepness is not outrageous you know a couple thousand feet over five miles is doable you start stretching that three four thousand feet five six seven miles it's getting in the danger zone to me for most hunters capabilities especially guys that don't live at altitude and you're talking about danger in terms of getting that animal out yeah, without just, that meat spoiling. Or not being able to get it out, not being able to do your hunt fully, giving up early because yeah, you're exhausted, you know, too much effort, um, and not hunting properly. Guys, for me, it's more about getting into a spot and then getting off the trail. I'd rather go less distance so I've got more room off trail. Mm-hmm. than just hiking 10 miles just because I'm on a trail. And how many people nowadays backpack hunt? A lot, right? Yeah. Maybe have better gear. How, how many, many people are walking past all these quality hunting spots because oh, they think they got to go steep and deep? Well, and backpack hunters too, they all they all watch Brian Lampers. They watch Brady Miller. Like, oh, man, I'm going to load up everything on my back, and I'm going to start killing elk like Lampers does, right? Well, here's the reality. You're not Lampers. And Lampers doesn't hunt from the trail, I hate to tell you. He might hike eight miles in, but then it's another five miles off the trail, right? And you you hunted with him this year. You found out. And uh, so just going 10 miles on the trail is the beginning. That's the beginning, Mm -hmm. right? Now, that doesn't mean you might not kill an elk right by the trail. That doesn't mean that. But I think the real odds multiplier, right, is getting that half mile or more from the trail. Hunters just are not comfortable doing it, especially in grizzly country. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not afraid. Of, I'm, I've got a healthy respect for grizzlies, right? But I don't let it deter me from from hunting, right? And But in grizzly country, you start getting a half mile to a mile off the trail, you're in like no man's land. Yeah, Nobody sure. goes there. Yep. And you don't have to be 20 miles in. And uh, so that's a, good, that's a good question. All right, next one we got. How would your e-scouting approach change if you're hunting an area like Coulee Country? Or let's just say different terrain areas. Do you do you change your e-scouting approach? Yeah, so like in Coulee Country, right, benches aren't as important because there's so many terrain features they can find. And But north slopes are still really important because Coulee Country usually means hotter country, right? Not always, but usually translates to that, right? So I think the slope degree for hanging out is more important in Cooley country, but it's real easy to get to that slope. You got to keep that in mind because there's a million North slopes and there's a million, you know, it's real broken. So it's not like one giant North slope that you're on. Like, so it's really hard to even pinpoint that. 
when I'm in Cooley country or in Cooley like that, you know, in, in the broken country, so to speak, it's more about putting eyes on elk for me. Yeah. Excuse me, like glassing identification and glassing testing, meaning evaluating glassing spots, figuring out what the view shed from there is, what I can see, what I can't see, testing spot A to spot B. And I just move through the system of scouting of glassing spots until I can start putting eyes on elk. Um, cause in broken country, typically there's some more open country. Mm-hmm. Um, are you agreeing with all this? You've made I, a good point too, about having multiple spots of glassing. Oh man. Because I've, I can't tell you how many times I've looked at, you know, all sorts of stuff on 3d thinking that's the prime glass spot you get there. It's just fricking timber everywhere up. You can't see anything, but that little spot that might be your lower elevation or higher elevation or down the ridge further was what I didn't think was a prime spot that was actually, actually where I could sit down and glass. So like not putting all your eggs in one basket in one glass spot, having those multiple glassing spots around something or on a different ridge where, like I said, dropping elevation if you need to to glass, like you have to have multiple plans in place again. It always comes back to plans, but like you have to have that multiple spots. Having, I call it progressive glassing. So you've got these progressive numbers of spots. Let's call them, you got 20 spots. You might make it to spot one and kill a freaking 200-inch buck, right? Mm-hmm. Or a big elk, whatever. But you've got a plan. So not only do you have the spots marked, that's for me, that's not good enough. I have to have the spots marked and a route to those spots. So I know that spot A is here. I know the route. I'm going to – because Cooley Country routes are critical, guys. Oh, you could kill You start straight quick. lining to the next <laughs> – you're going to be – doing this right but you're going to follow this ridge and it's best done when when you're at your computer guys you got the best resolution like okay i'm going to follow this ridge this looks good this looks like a good connector this is my best route so now i've got this chain of glassing spots that are linked together with the roots so now what do we know we know where we're going we've already tested the view we know it's good we know how long it's going to take us to get to each one. So we know what time we got to be there. We know what time we need to leave there to get back to camp. Yep. Now we've got all these roofs. Now we got all these glassing spots. I always put my camp last. That's a mistake I see. You know, Now, this probably isn't the biggest mistake, but another mistake I see a lot. Man, I'm going to camp right here. and I'm on, This looks like a great camping spot. I'm going to hunt elk right here. And then they develop their hunt area around the camp. Big mistake. Develop your hunt area and then find the best place to camp that works with those points. So the camp is the last point I drop, or I might move it. Or, but the point is, the last time I kind of verify where I'm going to camp is one of the last steps of what what I do. So in Cooley Country, um, glassing is the name of the game. Root planting is the name of the game, um, and testing those glassing spots in 3D, using your rotation, making sure you can see, make sure you make sure you're at ground level with the tilt. Because like you see, in Cooley country, guys, it's very difficult to figure out glassing, yep. what you can see, because the undulation of the terrain is very difficult. So I always say this, but I go to Google Earth. I set my exaggeration level to two, where I'm really exaggerating those coolies. What it, what that means is, guys, in the preference settings in Google, you can change the, the exaggeration settings. I'll move that up to like two. Normal is like one. So that makes the hills look bigger, right, than they are. But what it does is it helps you analyze the glassing mm-hmm. angles. Um, so anyway, it's a good tactic. Because I don't um, think that could be stressed enough, too. Like that's why, you know, like Google Earth and Go Hunt, how we don't restrict you on how far you can tilt like these other companies do. Like in, in that type of terrain, it's so broken. There's so many ups and downs, so many ridges. Like you have to tilt that camera all the way. Well, and they're all so short. Holes. Yeah. It might be 100 feet up. 
Right. But you want, you want those are little pockets. Those pockets could hold animals. I've always talked about before. There's little hidden pockets that people overlook that they can't see. But you can take that camera and just tilt it down on the web. You get all that 3D view that you need to do. Move that camera a little bit to a different angle. Again, check it out from different positions. Like you have to scout in 3D. Well, and so the last trick, I'll, I'll leave it with this with the coolies that I do, and I'm not going to really go over how to do it because it's a little bit complicated, but it's in my course. But I know that sounds like a little lead-in. But I spend a lot of time when I'm doing um, coolie country work or broken country work using Google Tours, meaning basically drawing a path and then setting the camera yeah. at 1,000 feet off with a certain 60 degree so you're looking at a right angle and then just setting back in my thing and just watching it go on the line everywhere. I, and you'll start to just like, whoa, 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 this looks good. This Instead of just panning around and kind of looking, I'll draw a route like to all my glassing spots and maybe over to this valley and maybe – it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And then I'll sit back and just play it yeah. and watch it. And then I'll tweak the settings. Okay, I'm going to raise that camera up to 1,500 meters off the ground play it Ooh, then i'm gonna zoom in i'm gonna put it at 600 play it i'll change the tilt camera from 60 degrees to 45 degrees basically your drone it's basically what it is oh, it's kind of a drone that's called simulation. the google tours see you're learning something i didn't know that shit it's money so you just draw a line and then basically you play it and play it's like tour a, and, plays. and it just and it, follows the line so that you created the key is the de- is the settings like i just told you because the default settings are not for hunting right they're like for straight up oh you know whatever right. google Earth was built for but as hunters, we want to look at it like we're flying, looking right. low or well, semi-low. But just play different. What I have found is there's no optimal settings that I can recommend because super, super big mountain country, I run it a little different settings than I do lower. You just play with the settings until you get the drone settings. It's not called drone settings, but they're called looks, tour settings. It looks like a drone kind yeah, of it, yeah. It's basically what it is. It's right. like a It's, it's like, like the view if you're flying exactly. a drone on the trail. And you and you set the tilt, and the tilt is the key to get the 3D, okay? And then the speed. The speed is way too fast on the – so I set it to the speed to 500. It's a whatever. I don't know what it is, 500. I don't know what they it is. They got a fast drone. <laughs> whatever. It's about halfway. No, no, it's not. It's about a third of the way of what it can do. So that's a good tip, too. And that's a tip I use for a lot of hunt areas. Not I, Like when I'm just – thinking about an area i haven't really done any work yet i'm just interested i'll do that path play the tour over and over again kind of start getting just getting familiar and you can Mm -hmm. see again all these methods there's there's e-scouting and then there's (laughs) e-scouting like this is such an in-depth process it is not something people people should take lightly there's so much fun things you can do when it comes to grabbing your computer grabbing your phone and diving into this stuff like this is how like you see how excited we all are when we're talking about this this stuff is freaking fun and <laughs> well, i'd rather be doing this than watching a stupid netflix or youtube video like this is this is it right here this I, is everything i look forward to coming and getting on this podcast with you because there's only i'm just going to call them out i've only met two people that geek out on east scouting kind of as much as i do is cody rich <laughs> And you. Cody's kind of under the radar East Guy, but the dude's a serial East Scouter, right? He's like got a problem. He's got more he's got almost as much of addiction as I do, but I didn't really know Brady all that much until just recently, right? In the last year or so, but I'm learning that that laptop is open more than it's closed. Yeah. <laughs> I am what someone called addicted. And uh so I love this is probably some of the deepest stuff of all the podcasts I've been on. We're getting in some deep stuff because You can just pull out the random stuff you, and we have good questions you know, about it. And and just you appreciate it. I'm like, 
I know everybody's watching and listening, but I'm really just having a conversation yeah. with you. <laughs> and I'm I'm over here just trying to herd two cats over here, trying to keep you guys down the line. You did this the other day. We had we had a, that meeting on the phone call. He never like, like, dude, we didn't stay on track once. <laughs> you and Mark just kept going off the deep end. Well, so yeah, we great. probably got some more questions here. All right, next one we got. This one's a good one. How to find elk wallows? Well, one for me, Brady probably have his own. I, I'm not really that into elk wallows. They're so unpredictable for me. Like elk will come, elk will not come. But I've got a couple t- tips I'm going to tell you. But there's only one way to really look for them, and it's Google Earth. I know I sound like a broken record. I, you know, I love the hunt platforms. I'm a huge fan of Go Hunt Maps. I'm using it this season for the first time, kind of exclusively. But it just does not have the resolution to get to that level, right? There's only one source. And um, you zoom in on Google Earth, you start studying these small meadows, and you look for these in the middle. Could they be a wallow? Could they not? So I'm always mar- so here's how I mark wallows. I mark wallows one of two ways. I mark them if I mark them and I label wallow, then that's usually because I've been there and I saw it was a wallow. If I don't know it's a wallow, I put a question mark behind the wall. So again, guys, it's all about identification because you'll forget. You can't just start dropping a bunch of pins, mm-hmm. labeling them as wallows, because then when you go to the spot, you start marking actual mm-hmm. wallows, you're getting confused. So I always use the question mark, and what's great about that is when I get there and I verify, if it is, then I'll change it and add some notes. One of the other things I always do with wallows is I add notes on walls when I find them. I write some pretty good notes on how how much I, how big it is, how much it's being used, if it's a multi-stage, meaning multi spot is it on a staircase kind of thing is there water running through it is it not is it stagnant i'll list all these things because those are all useful down the road you know later on so i'm not everyone knows i'm not a very good experienced elk person by any means never hunt them really but do you ever take like a topo layer overlay that topo layer on 3d and hope you can see maybe a little bit of like that marshy habitat maybe on a north facing slope and then then try to maybe like maybe do the same thing mark a question mark like there could possibly be a wallow on this north face for for the ones you Let's say if I'm looking at a timbered spot for like wallows that you can't see from exactly. Google Earth that are in the timber, I'm looking for like one, it needs a source of water, so like maybe a spring, and that's through topo maps and yeah, then right. topo maps benches. Some benches below. Looking, that's what, so here's what you're looking for. We talked about this at the summit. Man, we are giving out some tips here at the big guys. What do you call this? <laughs> big the hunt big, guys. Big, big hunt, hunt guys <laughs> podcast. Okay. Yep. We're going to lock this behind the paywall. Dang, this, is, this might be a pay per view. So. Let's say you're on the top of the ridge. Now, you said it, and you start to see the topography where a bench. You guys, for you guys, since we understand that people don't understand topos now, it's where all of a sudden you got all this same width of, to- of contour, and all of a sudden you got a little wider, right? Mm-hmm. Creates a little flatter spot, a little spot that moisture can gather, right? What you want to see is a water source, potentially, but not always you can identify it. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's there and you can't see it. But what I'm looking for is bench little bit of steep bench, a little bit of steep. I call them staircase benches. The odds are when you find those staircase benches on a north slope mm-hmm. in a cool, moist area, there's a high likelihood there could be wallows there. Right. High likelihood. When you just see a bench by itself on a slope, maybe. But, you know, whatever, maybe. But when you see the staircase, there's a good chance. Because what's happening is that moisture is holding and then it's holding and then it's holding. And if you're looking for walls and that's your jam, you want to hunt a wall, maybe you want to put a tree stand up, start with the bottom ones first. Yeah. They're more likely because the moisture is going to be the highest at the bottom. Mm-hmm. You're right. It's going right. to gather more. And then work your way up the bench. 
um, and look for trails. Look for the trails coming in on the same elevation on those yeah. benches and stuff like that. But So I want people right now to reference this point in the podcast. Go back a minute and really listen to this part again because this was a lot of oh, gold it money. information. Oh, right it was money. I, people don't even realize how much they just got right there. Yeah. Especially yeah. using, uh, especially the, using one, the one thing, that, yeah, topo. Topo, you gotta be you looking. Gotta be, this is when you can see this is on a topo. Map. This is when yep. you where you have to learn how to read topography maps, right. and uh, you have to learn well, like really well. Um, look for, <coughs> excuse me, you're looking for these staircase benches, but you're also looking for. Let's say you don't see a water source, like you're saying, Neville, and but you feel like these staircases are good. What you're looking for is the tow bow line to be running along on the bench, right? And all of a sudden you see a bump in and mm-hmm. you see it. What, you, what that is, is a crevice basically, or a, what's a better word for it? A slight ravine. It's yeah. a little ravine. It's like or a bitch. Yeah. So let's say you're looking at a bench and it's a beautiful, smooth circle and then it gets steep and there's another bench and it's a beautiful, smooth circle. Okay, that's fine. But, if I'm looking for wallows, I'm really more interested in those curve with a little indention, right? Yep. And then the next one's got a curve, little indention. What's that mean is there might be a high likelihood that's created a, a erosion, erosion yeah. has created some type of moisture there. Because there's a reason that ditch is there or that crevice is there or that whatever's right. there. It might be natural, whatever. But what are we doing? We're just improving our odds, right? We're not it's not a guarantee. We're just, but what are you doing with that, right? You're dropping a bench waypoint, and what are you doing? You're making notes about that, about that drop, and you're adding it to your hunt plan. Yep. All right, we got a couple here. Let's. I might. I might skip down to a couple here. I mean, how much stuff are we really going to share here? I mean, come on. I know. I yeah. this, this, this one's we got, we, are we ever going to have a future podcast? Or is that, <laughs> this is all the, of the all e-scouting podcasts. Best yeah. way to use e-scouting to pick a bivy-style camp location while hunting elk in the backcountry. This one can be quicker. This one's not too I think hard. we kind of talked about it, we guys. Talked about a lot. Like, you put your camp after you developed your spot. Yeah. And when it comes to bivy, guys, wind is deal. Because the bivy means you're trying to get close, right? You're lamper style. I don't hunt lamper style. It's just not my jam. I got llamas. I got cots. I got nice food. I usually have some Elijah Craig along. What you know? Did you got any room in your camp for these guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm solo. I got an yeah. eight-man teepee this year. I just got a new uh, wall tent, a lightweight wall tent. I'll be packing. Um, so I, I'm, I'm kind of living right. large, right? It's kind of a funny question because. Bivy camping, right? You're moving all the time, so you don't really know where your camp's going to be that right. day because you're, you're hunting with it on your you're back. Following you're, you're following the elk. So, I mean, this is like the style that like Trail and I do a lot. Yeah, right? but so camping is important there yeah. because what you're doing is you're staying close, right, to the animals. So you have to have a solid understanding of thermals, in my opinion, if you're going to do this. Because mm-hmm. thermals is the killer of all killers when it comes to this type of style hunting. So think about when when are you in your camp, okay? You're always in your camp during the night. You're always in your camp early morning. You're never in the camp during the day. You're always in the camp at night, right? Night, morning, during the night. That's it. What are the thermals always doing at that time? Going down the mountain. So you're always camping downhill from where you think these animals are when you're baby camp. In my mind, mm-hmm. for my suggestion, you're never uphill. Never in any case. Um, because you're just risking it. You're just really risking your situation. Right. Now, 
that could still screw you up with directional winds. I mean, it still could be a problem. That's why you, before, when you're doing your hump planting, look at the directional winds for that area. It's going to tell you the prevailing wind on that date. Guys, you can look historical weather up for September 15th for that location and say it's predominantly west wind. Okay, now we know that the west wind is the predominant wind, and we know the thermals are down. You know everything you need to know to kind of get in a good position. Right. And I think another tool to mention that we have on the train analysis, you can highlight flat spots. So if you know you're going to be in this certain area, let's say whatever, five miles certain area, you can click on the train analysis, hit the flat spot, and it's going to highlight those little tiny flat spots all over. And if you want, you can put some waypoints and have – have camps, a yeah. rough idea yeah. of like, hey, if I'm in this area and I can't find a flat spot, like, oh, I just need to go 500 feet this way and there's a flat spot. Well, if you're with lampers and call, you just dig out a spot right. and freaking that's what you do. I mean, it sucks. That's not yeah. my I, – I hunted this year with those guys, and I was in a two-man tent. And I'm like, this is outrageous. I, I don't stay in two-man tents. I mean, <sighs> I'm like, <laughs> I can't live like this. I mean, where's my – Wall tent, my teepee, my llama. Yeah, yeah. I had eight llamas in there. I don't know how many llamas we had. A lot of llamas. And I'm in a two-man tent because all the gear those guys. When I first started hunting with those two, they come with, like, a little bit of gear. Now that they know we got llamas, oh, man, they're oh, coming yeah, with the everything. kitchen sink now. Oh. And, uh, yeah, so I was in a two-man tent for the first time. And, and I so I said to sleep in the trail. So yeah. the trail it was pretty nice, actually. I'm just a little worried like, if some horses came. Yeah. They were going to, like, trample me. But I just pitched my tent right in the trail. I had a nice little depression. Slept like a baby. And that's kind of why. Prayed I, it didn't rain because it ran right down the trail. That's kind of why I like teepees a lot more because I figure I can either dig out one of the spots on it where you have a two-man tent. It has to be this way, and it's either going to tilt or whatever. But if you have a teepee, you know, you can always have that one spot that's carved right, out. That's right. Kind of stake it in one area. Yeah, yeah, I do too. You can I make like it work. It too. All right. Should we – last question? Last we're, question. Yeah, we're getting – we're about an hour, 20 here. This is, this is a good one. Probably – probably the most common question where do where do you start with e-scouting well i got my uh <laughs> i got my personal bias on that plug it um you know i answered this question on the instagram live kind of funny but guys you know i know i charge for the course it's it's uh, 119 dollars and um take it or leave it i'm no pressure but all these questions that we went through here are in answered in the nth detail. Right. Theory, strategies, and examples. So, like, we were talking about benches. We were talking about saddles. We were talking about meadows. You, you, maybe you didn't understand everything we were talking about, or maybe you don't really understand yeah. topography. So, the way my course works is I have a theory. So, most of the elk finding feature modules, let's say meadows, because perfect example, I have about 30 minutes, no, about 45 minutes of theory just talking about. I have 10 metal rules in the course, right? I live by 10 metal rules. Those 10 metal rules are outlined. But then I jump over to part two, which is nothing but examples. I go through different states, different areas, hopefully not blowing up too many hunt areas. And, but I'm not really blowing, I'm only looking for meadows. I'm not analyzing the area for elk hunting potential. Yeah. I'm only looking for meadow analysis. And I go through five, eight examples of breaking down metals, all the rough textures, what everything we just talked about, right? So when I do that for every one of those features, you know, and we talk about hunt plans. So if you're trying to get started with this and it's a little overwhelming, remember, I just gave you the perfect example. 
We have the best technology known to man right now. We have the best reliable hunting stats. You've got the insider. You've got strategy articles that Go Hunt puts out. You've got all kinds of other how to how to articles. You've got this podcast. You just heard a bunch of. It has not moved the needle on success rate. Guys, yep. pay attention to that. In over thirty years of hunting elk, it has not changed the outcome. The only thing that changes the outcome is experience, or education, and preferably. A marriage of both, yep. in my mind. And that's what I've tried to do. And coming up, so that would be job one. Coming up, number two is um, I'm not as high on the food chain as Lampers and Randy Newberg and Corey and Remy. But one of these days, my course is going to show up on the OC, which is the outdoor class. But I am on the list down there. I'm just not at the I top. Can't, I can't wait for your course. I'm and uh, I'm looking forward to it. So that'll be another option is the outdoor class will feature. Um, we still haven't fleshed out what it's going to be exactly. It might be more targeted, very specific things, like really fleshing out some of the like snow analysis or um, different things like that. Um, so we don't know for sure, but it's coming. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Good stuff. A lot of, lot of resources. Yeah. You know, a lot of different resources. You got Treeline Academy. You got... Go hunt. You got outdoor class. I mean, even just typing in a question into Google, you yeah, know, exactly. typing in into YouTube. Like, there's plenty of different resources to well, find. You just heard the Google Scholar. I mean, I'm right? totally blown away. I didn't know that. But, so, what is that? I'm going to back up to that real quick because I'm perplexed. <laughs> yeah. So, it just kind of limits your search to research articles. Research right? You're articles, getting rid yeah. of all the junk. Get right? rid of oh, all the junk. Yeah. That's freaking money. So, you're trying to find, in that case, peer-reviewed biology yeah. reports from actual biologists or research studies or even just well, like, all kinds of science yeah, yeah even people who are like in in college right now trying to work on their master's degree like all the studies they're working on like you can start to grab those like a lot of times you will have to pay for them you will hit a paywall where you have to actually purchase this you know 25 page pdf article but like i said there is ways around it you can just then take that article title maybe throw that in the main google search or maybe like i said search those author names try to hit the this, his university website where he might be so proud of that research and he wants to show it because he's trying to get other grants for other projects so well, he will probably get it for and free. all the stuff right yeah good. So there's, Man, there's that's a wealth money. of information oh, out there when you Brady you've taught me two things on this trip the bulk edit and the <laughs> thank <laughs> you Brady it's been money I, tr- I try my best guys all right I'm, Thanks, with, I'm with legends here so when you talk with legends you start giving <laughs> up your secrets that you probably wouldn't give out normally so I appreciate uh, you coming down well, Thanks, we, man, should, we, got, awesome. we got some promo codes to throw out there yeah. What do you got? What do you got, Mark? You got some promo codes. Well, let's just do one. Now, yeah. give me – don't – well, this is going to come out next week, so I got time to put it in. So, yeah, just use Go Hunt, okay? And if you do Go Hunt on my course, we'll do 99 bucks, $20 off. The so, that's for the Treeline course. Treeline Academy if, course. When they go to your Treeline yeah. course, perfect time, e-scouting. If you guys yeah. have any questions, there you're you confused. Go. I got pressured, and right on – he put me on the spot right here. You got codes, don't you? Yep. Yeah, go to Treeline. Thanks, Neville. When you check out – cost me a bunch of money. <laughs> type in Go Hunt. And we'll we'll help you out. Perfect. Yeah, just enter Go Hunt. It'll give you. I'll make I'll make sure I set that up before this podcast drops. There Good? we go. Good. And then ours is just podcast. Yep. Promo code podcast. Basically, that's going to get you. So if you want to sign up for Insider, try to start researching over the counter units, figure out some of this leftover stuff that we release for Insiders only. Promo code podcast will get you fifty points back to the Go Hunt Gear Shop. So fifty points is fifty dollars. So you pay the membership, you get fifty points instantly back. If you just want standalone maps, again, use promo code podcast for the Explorer membership. And you get 20 points back to the Go Hunt Gear Shop. 
So instant way to get the best value and also put some gear in your pocket. All right. Well, since we're throwing out promo codes, let's go. You can go to Go Hunt and use my promo code Treeline. If you now, you're gonna have to decide: Do you want the twenty dollars in the store, or do you want thirty percent off the Explorer membership? Yep. So my code Treeline at Go Hunt gets you thirty dollars off the Go Hunt Maps Explorer package. There you go. We got promo codes everywhere, so yeah, you pick it, your poison. It's a winner. Yes. Today's a winner. <laughs> At the end of the day, you're winning. Everybody's a winner. We're keeping track with the time. Right? Yes. Everybody's a winner. All right, guys. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank Later. you.